Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we'll be discussing some undervalued players at their positions that don't necessarily have a clear shot to a feature fantasy-friendly role, but we wholeheartedly believe there's a path to success if the volume happens to appear. So I had to find a special guest for this episode, and I believe I've done just that, ladies and gentlemen, mostly gentlemen, but, you know, for, for you few, few ladies out there. Some know him as that Ashton Villa guy on Twitter, others as the longtime host of the Rotor World Football Podcast analyst at NBC Sports, number nine in your program and number one in your hearts, Josh Norris, everyone. How's it going, Josh? Ian, I am thrilled to be able to talk about Aston Villa Football Club staying in the Premier League for the next 45 minutes with you today. One, I cannot promise a bigger female audience for you. Certainly cannot do that. Have not been able to do that for the last five years at Rotorold. Um, and also, I wore number 54 when I played football in high school. What number were you? 56. Look at us. Look at us. Very close. Wow. There's some classic linebacker numbers, man. I like that. But okay. As I mentioned, I want to break down players. Not expected to have feature roles, everyone. We are not saying draft these guys and expecting fantasy production in 2020. As we know in this world, can't always assume rational coaching. Best players don't always rise up the depth charts. But hey, two, maybe three, maybe four things swing these guys away. They could absolutely ball out. So we'll get started with quarterback. Josh, who is your quarterback who will not be starting in 2020? But man, if he did look out. Isn't this one self-explanatory or answers itself? I mean, it's Jameis freaking Winston. It's Jameis Winston who is on basically a minimum contract with the New Orleans Saints. He was the quarterback six in fantasy points per game last season. We know he's absolutely behind Drew Brees. He might even be behind Taysom Hill. Who the hell knows? But, Ian, I cannot think of a quarterback that could be more opposite than Drew Brees, than Teddy Bridgewater, than Jameis Winston is, right? And all that I can do when you sent me this topic is fantasize of what Jameis Winston would do with Sean Payton. I mean, there is a chance – he might just drive Sean Payton up a wall, like completely drive him insane. Or there's like a meeting of the minds. They meet somewhere in the middle and he just would absolutely turn Jameis Winston's career around. But, you know, this is a team that doesn't always take risks and take chances when throw the, throwing the football and you insert someone like Jameis into that offense. Uh, fireworks, uh, roller coaster and something that I would love to watch each and every week. You got that right. Yeah, when Jameis went to Tampa, we were all so excited. And we, I, but maybe we should have taken a step back and been like, how much YOLO is too much YOLO for a quarterback <laughs> like Jameis Winston? And, I mean, the result, we had a ton of big-time throws, ton of turnovers, obviously. But in Jameis's defense, this is not like it's the first time that, you know, a quarterback has gotten off to a rough start in the Bruce Arians offense. And at PFF, we have turnover-worthy plays in a season. Going back to 2006, the top three years in turnover-worthy plays were Andrew Luck in his first year with Bruce Arians, Carson Palmer in his first year with Bruce Arians, and Jameis Winston in his first year with Bruce Arians. Okay, I mean, he has done too much for us to give on him yet. I mean, obviously, we got some big big holes to fix, but if there's anyone that could do it, it seems like New Orleans would be the perfect place to fix those errors. Also, it would be completely combustible probably for that offense. Like, do we really think that Michael Thomas would then once again – draw like a 35% market share of the targets? Yeah. Probably not. He would get someone else involved, right? Rather than, whether it be Emmanuel Sanders, whether it be Traquan Smith, whoever else in that offense, he, he would absolutely get someone else involved. It would turn 
one that is easily predictable in the pieces that we want to acquire to one that would be up in the air each and every week. And I'm just sad that we're not going to get it. Like you're getting me all hyped up for it right now, Ian. It just seemingly is not going to happen. But you go back to a good point. Like this career that Jameis Winston has had, even dating back to his time in college. Like I remember his first game. You probably remember this because you're really into college football. His first game, I think it was like nationally televised against Pittsburgh. Is yeah. that correct? First pit, yep. And he just dominated. And it was dominant that entire season. He was a redshirt freshman, I believe, right? Because he left that through his redshirt sophomore season. Yeah. And, I mean, certainly quarterbacks and players aren't necessarily can't miss coming out of the draft. And he had those big play YOLO nature to him, even in college, and especially during that second season. You remember, like, he would just pull Florida State into 21-point deficits. <laughs> and I, But somehow bring them out of it. I don't know. It's, he, he just has not changed since that moment. Yeah. And while you can win at the college level with that, and while you can obviously put up fantasy points and win some games, not enough games, at the NFL level, we just know how strict and how focused some NFL coordinators are of wanting you to do exactly what I say and hit the open receiver and timing and precision. And definitely Sean Payton's like that. But um, and I'm not advocating Jameis Winston have a starting gig right now. But when you put you know, the talented quarterbacks across the map, I think he's absolutely someone you can win with, but he kind of goes into that spectrum, that area, that classification of, okay, games on the line, you know, seven minutes ago or three minutes ago, you're down by 10 points. Is he really the one that you know what you're going to get out of him in that moment or you're 10 points up with three minutes ago. So I, I think that that's where the determining factor comes into Jameis Winston landing in this situation. And hey, in Jameis's defense, it wouldn't be the wildest thing ever if a guy who needed LASIK and who needed, you know, had severe shoulder problems at the end of the season gets healthy, performs a little bit better. So I'm with you, man. I don't know if he should have a starting spot either, but the NFL would certainly be a more entertaining place if he did. So moving on. Yeah, moving on to my quarterback. I got you. I got you. I am looking at Mr. Nick Mullins, the San Francisco 49ers backup QB, who, you know, he was a pretty big name in the 2018 season because we saw how bad uh, C.J. Bathard was when he got his chance. Mullins came in, did some good football things, man. He helped beat Seattle in overtime, started eight games, averaged 8.3 yards per attempt. I mean, the company he's actually in is silly if we just want to look at the efficiency metric. We've only had uh, – okay – among rookie signal callers in the history of the league, at least eight starts. These are the guys with more adjusted yards per attempt than Nick Mullins. Dak, RG3, Big Ben, Russell Wilson, and Dan freaking Marino. We got Nick Mullins on a list with multiple future Hall of Famers. This is going to be his third year as Shanny. We saw him pop up again before the 2020 draft with the 49ers reportedly denying multiple trade offers for this guy. Look, way too much money invested in Jimmy G from Mullins to, you know, even if he just outplays Jimmy G every single practice, it's Garoppolo's team. I get that. But Mullins, whenever he gets the chance, he might ha we might have something here. He's the type of quarterback that I can see Kyle Shanahan winning a handful of games with, like Sean Payton did last year with Teddy Bridgewater, right? Yeah. Um, now, I do wonder, like, if he is a starter for all of last season. I mean, the 49ers, and I'm not the biggest Jimmy Garoppolo believer out there at all. Um, but I don't think he, they win 13 games with him last year you know, but he is, he is absolutely someone that you can get by with. And I'm not saying that that's in relation to his talent. I'm saying that that's in the genius of what Kyle Shanahan is. You know, I mean, I think Jimmy was third to last in the NFL last year in average yards per 
throw, average yards per attempt, um, air yards, I should say. And he, I mean, Nick Mullins can, can do that exact same type of, of offense and efficiency of getting the football in your playmaker's hands, asking them to win after the catch. I mean, we have seen it, and it becomes even more clear. I think he just wrapped up what, or this is his third year in charge, uh, Kyle Shanahan, where yards after catch is like a major factor. It's a critical factor in his evaluation techniques. You know, George Kittle was third in the NFL in yards after the catch among tight ends. Debo Samuel, third amongst wide receivers. Devin Coleman, third amongst uh, running backs. And now you have Brandon Ayuk, who was ninth in the entire draft class last year. Uh, I think if we want to look at it from a pessimistic angle, Ian, that kind of shows you a little bit of his own evaluation of Jimmy Garoppolo. But maybe that's just me as not a full believer in his talent sets. Yeah, I wanted to see what's going on, but if he can somehow get the chance to continue to stay in San Francisco, I mean, look at this team and this offense specifically that Shanahan is building. You mentioned the Yak Monsters. We also got Jalen Hurd coming back, and I mean, only wait till next year to see the next guy they bring in. I've always kind of wondered with Yak, is it a stat, you know, because we hear both sides, but with A.J. Brown, it's, oh my gosh, this guy is so good after the catch, he has to regress. And then with someone like Calvin Ridley, it's, well, he's not that good after the catch, so he must not be that good. Like, which one is it, man? What do you kind of think when you see a college guy with great yards after the catch ability? Is that a sign of a great player, or is that something that you think is more schemed and created that way? I think it comes down to athleticism in a lot of ways. You know, like we're when someone who is just an alpha athlete, I mean, Calvin Ridley is not that. A.J. Brown is that. You know, Brian Ayuk is that. Depot Samuel is that. I mean, I can keep going down the list. I think that plays a factor in all of it. Now, I can remember some players who, when the ball is in their hands, they've been unbelievable with after-catch capabilities, like Carlos Henderson. Do you remember that name? Coming yeah. out of Louisiana Tech. and what I think is, Yeah, second-round pick with the Denver Broncos. And he just like completely flamed out in the NFL and like barely even played a single snap for them. Um, so it can't be hit or miss. It, it shouldn't be, to, in my opinion, necessarily the, the determining factor. And, you know, much smarter people out there will have how sticky it is year over year. But I think part of that is the offense that they play and where they get the football, where the targets come from, but also just being a much better athlete than the people are across from you. And just having the vision, the capability with that. I mean, DJ Moore is another example, right? So it's, I, I, I think that it does fit in the profile that way. And it's not just random. Okay. That is the question. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Speaking of just a yak monster, someone that if you can get him the ball in space, he's going to cause a lot of problems. We're moving on to running backs. And Josh, you are picking Antonio Gibson as a player that even though the opportunity might not be there, look out if he gets it. Yeah, back when you appeared on a little show called the Rotor Road Football Podcast. I hope everyone out there is subscribed to that Amazing show. podcast. Please subscribe and rate. Thank you. Yes, it's a big month for us. You know, some, just some subscriptions, some ring reviews would push us a long way. Um, yeah, like there's two sides of the Antonio Gibson equation for me that I, it's, to me, easy to fall in love with. Uh, we'll get to the individual talent in a second, but first I want to talk about the potential opportunity because this is a Scott Turner offense, which was kind of like a Norv Turner offense, right? And in the last three straight seasons, they've had a running back who led the NFL in targets at his position. I mean, that identity simply is not going to disappear in Washington, despite not having a talent like Christian McCaffrey, because during Norv's 
career as a play caller, he hasn't had just a talent like Christian McCaffrey. Yes, we can throw in LaDainian Tomlinson and he used him in the exact same way, but you can also look at Frank Gore in his only season with Nora Turner had a career high in targets at 81 and career high in receptions at 61. Uh, Chris Ogbanaya saw 74 targets under North Turner. Okay. Lamont Jordan, 103 targets with North Turner in Going 2005. Deep. I mean, that's all the way back in, in 2005. Okay. 15 years ago, look at where the NFL is now and how much more often they throw the ball. A running back in this backfield is going to get targets and it's not going to be Adrian Peterson. <laughs> it, it, Maybe it's Darius Geis, but honestly, if we look at from a 16-game season, do we really think that Darius Geis is going to hold up? Because he hasn't so far, even though I'm a big believer in him. I know we've heard of J.D. McKissick at times, and you know Peyton Barber still exists in some form <laughs> or fashion. But there, Antonio Gibson is, is the type of talent, again, with that wide receiver background that he has, he's very capable and comfortable with the ball in his hands. And while he might not have that role, early in the season, I might pitch you on the idea that he could have a very similar first year, a rookie season that David Johnson did, where he made plays early on, everyone claimed for him to have more opportunity in the final five or so weeks of the season, boom, he's basically a fantasy winner for you. Yeah. Would it be crazy for Antonio Gibson to do that this year? No, no. He's good enough, man. I mean, 14 touchdowns on 77 touches in 2019. I mean, six feet, 228, runs a sub 4440. I just don't know if we can trust Washington to use him right. And that's why he is on this list. I mean, we have the athletics Grant Paulson beat reporter uh, for Washington reporting that they want to run more 21 personnel, two running backs, one tight end with, with Gibson, Darius Geist, or AP or any of the other 10 running backs they seemingly have on their roster at this point. I think the path to fantasy success is for him to be a core wide receiver on a team that really other than Terry McLaurin, okay, maybe Steven Sims doesn't have much there get him in the backfield for a few snaps a game. We saw Scott Turner treat Curtis Samuel like this in the last few weeks of Carolina's season. So I have a little bit of hope that Turner can use Gibson in the way that, you know, he can run, run his routes, be on the field as much as possible and give him some design touches at RBs because you look at this offense and it's, you know, maddening as someone that supports Dwayne Haskins so much as the Columbus, Ohio lifer I am. And it was maddening last year in Washington to see how few weapons he had to throw to and how little they did to help him out this year. But Antonio Gibson, if they can feed this guy the ball, could be the number two weapon as early as 2020. So I totally agree with you. And if I were running an NFL team, I would put him at wide receiver because that's where he played like 70%, 80% of his snaps yeah. in college. And in fact, I think he would dominate. Oh, maybe that's strong. I think he could be quite good okay. in the DJ Moore role yeah. of, you know, slants, of, of crossing routes, of drags, and get the ball in his hands. Because again, 16 forced missed tackles on 33 carries last season, 17 missed tackles on 38 catches. That, those are rare numbers, yeah. rare numbers. Um, my pushback on that, though, is that he's not going to play wide receiver. Unless he's going to pull a reverse Ty Montgomery, who wears 88 and plays running back, he's wearing 24, so he's not going to play wide receiver very much. And we hear these like, oh, this team has two talented running backs, so they're going to you know, put two in the backfield at the same time and do all that stuff. I'll believe that when I see it, dude. You know, like we heard the same thing with Duke Johnson. Now we're hearing it once again with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, so on and so forth. And sure, it might happen a handful of times a game, but it's not going to be the leading personnel grouping. Um, again, I'm, I'm not, you know, delirious in thinking that he's just going to 
command this massive workload and this massive share. But we see it so often, right, Ian, where a player comes in and has a little spark or makes the most of his five to six touches per week, and then he gets a little bit more as the season goes along. That might be more true this year than ever before. And if there is truly one pick, one rookie who I want to invest in to do that over the course, namely at the value where they're going in fantasy drafts right now, it's Antonio Gibson. Yep. Great value. And, you know, Roger Goodell, if you're listening, please, for the love of God, make Ty Montgomery change his number. I am so tired of that. One of my least favorite existing storylines of every NFL season. But, all right, man, you mentioned my running back that I want to bring up next, and that is Mr. Duke Johnson. You know, longtime member of hashtag Free Duke. You have not changed. I'm so glad to know that in the, what, month? six weeks that we no longer work together anymore, that you are still propelling Duke Johnson's name more than even Duke Johnson is propelling his own name out there in the stratosphere. Could not talk about Texans game on the Rotor World football podcast last year without myself bringing up Duke. But you know why I keep bringing up Duke? Because Duke Johnson is one of the best running backs on this planet. And because Hugh Jackson and Bill O'Brien have typecast him as a scat back, now seemingly the world believes that the U's all-time leading rusher isn't capable of working on three downs. Never mind that Duke has never missed a game in his NFL career. Never mind he's averaged more yards per carry, more yards or equal yards per target to David Johnson. He is younger than David. He has a higher body mass index than David. He is, by all accounts, a better option to be a three-down running back than David Johnson in the year 2020. Now, David was traded in part for one of the franchise's longtime favorite stars ever. Duke was not. Duke was only traded for a third-round pick, and for some reason, they still brought in Carlos Hyde to take away a role that should have been Duke's the entire time. I'm bitter, man. Duke is just so good, and I feel like the lazy, lazy narratives that surround him are he's this scat back that can't handle a feature role. But as I said, man, he's never missed a game. Over the last uh, three years, only Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, and Josh Jacobs have averaged more yards after contact per attempt. You can pull up the, you know, uh, any stat you want about him running inside. He can do it all. Josh, why won't the NFL free Duke? Because once they pigeonhole a player, they're pigeonholed. You know? <sighs> it, it, it happens so frequently. Uh, I will tell you that if you want him on your fantasy team, it's very easy to do. I mean, he's going in the 13th round, earliest to 12th round in a lot of scenarios. It's not like, you know, you're choosing him over wide receivers that are game changers for your team. Like Duke Johnson, again, he can be your running back five easily, running back four if you want him to be. And – I think that there is a path for him to have considerable success. I mean, he's more talented than Carlos Hyde, and Carlos Hyde rushed for over 1,000 yards last season, like the quietest 1,000-yard season of all time. <laughs> it's like, um, and we know that David Johnson lately has not been the beacon of health. So if it happens, if the opportunity is there, maybe it opens up the second half of Duke Johnson's career to be exactly what you want to be in hard hits things again and the point of this podcast do have to break in order for that to happen yeah we can dream man and so it is interesting because duke last year you know we think of this texans offense as hardly being you know one of the more forward-thinking ones in the league but duke was used in the slot or, or out wide on 26 percent of his snaps which is very high for a running back that's obviously what david does too there is a way where i mean i'm still high on deshaun watson this year i think that for once he's actually going to have a lot of weapons all over the field and you yeah. know Losing Hopkins sucks for any offense, obviously, but you got Cobb, Fuller, Cooks, both Johnson guys back there. They could do some good things. I guess my last question here, Josh, is 
if David goes down, like so many people think he will, and they all point to that one run David had against Tampa Bay where he looked like, you know, he had a piano on his back. But even if he goes down, do we really think Duke's getting that three-down roll? Because I think Bob – I'm sorry, Bill O'Brien is going to call Devontae Freeman. He's going to call yeah. whoever he needs to call to probably get an early down grinder in there. C.J. Anderson, someone like that, oh. you know. Um, I'm just – highly intrigued to figure out who Tim Kelly is as a play caller, you know, because it just hasn't been in Deshaun Watson's DNA to target running backs. Right. I mean, Duke Johnson's coming off his lowest targets for a season in his career, I believe. And maybe Tim Kelly, like what Norv Turner did with Cam Newton during that 2018 season forces him to, to get those layups, to hit those checks. Right. And if he does that, then David Johnson's going to benefit and Duke Johnson's going to benefit. And, you know, this team has just changed so much in a year that you can kind of though figure out what they want to be in that they have Randall Cobb, who has the same exact average depth of target as DeAndre Hopkins did last year. So he fits that, you know, short to intermediate area. Then you have just vertical playmakers with maybe the best vertical passer in the NFL and Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller and, if he can open up again, those layups on the outside to David Johnson and Duke Johnson and, and unlock that, 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 that section of Deshaun Watson's game, then I think you're going to see a more efficient offense, but it's just one that we necessarily haven't seen thus far with Deshaun, who's wonderful. Like we love him, but it, I think it's absolutely fair to bring up negatives. Also, when you talk about Deshaun Watson's game. Fair points all around. Another offense that we are projecting a little bit, haven't seen them together, is the Indianapolis Colts. New QB under center, Phillip Rivers. Looking like three wide receiver sets are going to be T.Y. Houghton as the wide receiver one. But then we got Paris Campbell and some combination of probably Zach Pascal and Michael Pittman. Josh, talk to us about Paris Campbell. I mean, this offense is ready to roll. You know, we know the offensive line is fantastic. We know T.Y. Hilton. We know that Phillip Rivers – you know, if he carries anything in the later parts of his career, it's that he's going to get rid of the football and, and try to throw it downfield at all costs. Um, Paris Campbell is someone that I think is truly being forgotten, and he's basically another rookie for this team. You know, just seven games last year, just 18 receptions, 127 yards. He had hamstring injury. He had a hand injury. Then he had a foot injury, yada, yada, yada. Um, but we know that Rivers is coming out of the Chargers offense where Keen Allen was his number one target for years and years and years. And so many of those receptions were in the middle of the field between the numbers, right? Well, Paris Campbell, 16 of his 18 catches, tiny sample size, were between the numbers last season. Um, but we also know that every single offensive coordinator across the league is trying to find a wide receiver who's explosive and fantastic with the ball in their hands. Who is that in the Colts? Frank Reich? It is Paris Campbell. I mean, his final season at Ohio State, you know this, Ian, 809 yards after the catch, second most in the country. I mean, he was the king of those slants, of those crossing routes out of the middle of the field, not having to run a route, picking it up, carrying it, and then finding space along the sideline and just burning everyone. So this is a player who's going maybe even undrafted in your home leagues, in your office leagues. But that I can see if he hits the ground running and stays healthy early on, could have a massive, massive role in this Colts offense. Through angle erasing Jets, I mean, one of the fastest guys in any football field he's going to step onto. And, yeah, he, there is a almost realistic scenario where he's the number two guy in this passing game as early as this year. How effective will that passing game be? I think they're going to run the ball more times than not. 
We'll see. But, Josh, I guess the question is, like, especially for Dynasty people out there, in 2021, T.Y. Hilton is an unrestricted free agent. He turns 31 in November. You know, he only missed two games from 2012 to 2017. He's missed eight games over the last two seasons. I'm with you because watching Paris Campbell throughout his four years at Ohio State, he was just always a guy that was kind of fit into that low eight-out role. But, you know, we saw Michael Thomas. We've, we've seen this with Ohio State wide receivers, Terry McLaurin. They're, they kind of fill their role at a high level at Ohio State, but they're not asked to do more. doesn't necessarily mean they can't do more. And, right. I mean, this, this quote from Frank Reich's last offseason just still sticks out to me where he said, Paris is making legit NFL, I'm going to be a stud receiver type plays. I mean, 2020 could be fun, but, like, Josh, do you think Paris could be a legit, like, NFL wide receiver one? Well, one, if I went around life just – talking like Frank Reich, I would say like, this is the pod- best podcast I've ever done. You know, <laughs> this is the best seltzer I've ever had. You know, like everything is just the best ever. It's so dangerous to listen to what Frank Reich is saying right now, because rather than being Bill Belichick and, and not saying a single thing, he's just over complimenting everyone. Like he has taken Pete Carroll's seat at the table with that. Like today, Ian, I wrote a freaking blurb on him hyping up Trey Burton right now. And saying he really, he, Trey Burton's going to be really productive this season. All right, dude. Maybe it happens. Um, but back to Paris Campbell. Like, yeah, he, he has his role. It is in the slot. It is underneath because we can easily. And I know Ty moves inside and outside because they want to create matchups for him. But they've basically said that rookie Michael Pittman is going to be their isolated receiver on the outside. They're going to move around Ty, and then I just think that they can get creative with Paris Campbell. And maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but especially because of what Philip Rivers looked like. Like at times we talked about this last year on the Road to Road Football Podcast. Go and subscribe. Uh, we, sometimes it looked like when he threw the football, he didn't know where it was going to land. Um, but again, I think the easy avenue of those low depth of target um, throws, those are a lot of times going to go to Paris Campbell. And he's someone who can do damage with those opportunities. Again, maybe he only gets 70 targets this year. But I also can see a pathy into 100 targets this year. Who knows? Yeah, he could do a lot with 70. Other really fun Frank Reich offseason coach speak moment was talking about how Naeem Hines could be getting, you know, double-digit catches in games. I mean, who knows? We'll see. But we'll, we'll use all three backs at once. All, all right. three. Same time. Why not? But, okay, I got some real prime coach speak for you now. This is actually from today. A player, a player and a team that both of us admire, Curtis Samuel and the Carolina Panthers. Now, this is from Coach Matt Rule. Curtis Samuel has always had deep playability, but wasn't always connected with. Rule loves his versatility at RB in the slot and outside. Curtis, Matt Rule wants to use Curtis Samuel like he was at Ohio State. I mean, I just haven't really stopped dancing since I heard this news because it is music to my ears. Curtis Samuel is really, in my opinion, the closest thing we've seen to like a true Percy Harvin comp since he came out. He is that electric. He is that good as a running back and wide receiver. He just got in a situation last year where the Panthers had a starting quarterback that should not have been a starting quarterback, to put it nicely. I mean, this was league worst. 25% of their deep balls last season were deemed catchable by, the, by my employer, Pro Football Focus. It just wasn't even close. And, you know, I, I can show you five, six plays where Curtis Samuel had plenty of separation downfield and a good ball. He, he'd be dancing in the end zone. Simply wasn't able to happen. You fast forward to 2020, differences in the offense. We got Teddy Bridgewater there, who is anyone's idea of an upgrader for Kyle Allen. Robbie Anderson is seemingly taking that outside field stretcher role. Josh, it looks like maybe we have a low A dot slot role for Curtis with even more goodness to come if they're being creative about it. 2020 expectations for Curtis Samuel. 
Two things. One, we know 2020 has been just an awful year. But maybe the lowest moment of 2019 was that two-week span where Kyle Allen was considered the quarterback of the future for the Carolina Panthers. Um, we were never on that trade, by the way. I'm never. very proud to say that. Uh, yeah, Curtis is good. He's a good football player. There are just elements to – and, you know, 20 throws downfield for a season might seem like a large sample size because it's just one season. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just 20 throws. And I don't know, when you go and watch those, I don't know how you can blame him for almost any of them. They're just, it's bad quarterback play. And we've seen bad quarterback play impact good football players. Um, Now, that's not to say he's a perfect player. He certainly had his drops. He certainly can be better. Um, There's also the case of, of Joe Brady here. And I wrote about this with the Carolina Panthers profile on Roto World that I want to know who the volume vacuum is for Joe Brady this season, because he's going to take elements from the New Orleans Saints offense. And a major part of that offense is Michael Thomas winning in the slot. Like when he's in the slot, he's getting the football. Yeah. And a major part of that last year at LSU in the passing game was Justin Jefferson, who spent like 93% of his snaps and like saw 90% of his targets in the slot. And he was one of, if not the most productive wide receiver in college. Like those are two obvious ones. But who's the obvious one in Carolina? It's not Robbie Anderson, right? Robbie Anderson never plays there. So it's either DJ Moore or Curtis Samuel. And they probably mix and match, right? I think they both can fit. I I think they both can do very well there. But this is a team who's absolutely going to dominate and run 11 personnel, not dominate in the field. I mean, dominate while running 11 personnel. Sure. Um, And if that's the case, he's always going to be in the field. I'm just – I'm just – unsure which one is going to see the vast majority of work in the slot. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I I got you. And again, we can build up this scenario in Carolina where things actually click early. They got the terrible defense. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, it's why he's one of these top late round quarterbacks we're talking of. We could see them be this fantasy friendly, just last place team, but I'm a little worried about the continuity, man. I did an article uh, last week where I looked at, Every, every team, I look at their offensive line, their passing game, you know, quarterback, tight end, top three receivers, and their offensive coordinator and their head coach. The Chiefs, like, they have all 12 key people back, which is unfair and amazing. But the Panthers were the single least continued team from last year. Now, like, again, having Teddy over Kyle, obviously that's an upgrade. Like, there's, you know, you don't want to continue bad position groups. But for this funky offseason, is this maybe just a little too much for them to overcome and kind of fulfill these fantasy dreams we have? Well, I, I, one, I'm, I'm a little hesitant how much, like, the fantasy universe is falling in love with Teddy as, like, a late-round quarterback target. <laughs> um, and I know Teddy is, like, this late-round darling for a lot of people. I'm just really nervous about it, Ian, because – I understand it. Like if we like DJ Moore, if we like Chris McCaffrey, if we even like Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson to some degree, Ian Thomas, you can throw in there. Um, but we just like know who we know who Teddy is and he hasn't been a fantasy producer in the least. And I think part of it is also people loving quarterbacks. who are going to be in negative game script and who just throw the football. I'll tell you, you know, this, Teddy's going to be a lot different than like Jameis Winston was a negative game script last year, right? <laughs> a little I mean, bit, just, little bit. just drastically different. And maybe this creates a blind spot, but I like players on good teams who win football games and put up points that way. Because if you're winning, you're putting up more points than everyone else on the scoreboard. So 
I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little hesitant here with Teddy, which I think gives us a trickle down to being hesitant to every single one of these fancy pieces, even though I will shout out that I think DJ Moore has a great shot of being top five in targets this season. DJ is a baller. And yeah, if Teddy even had like a little bit of a rushing floor, maybe it'd be different, but. Well, and, and to close your point, yeah. not to interrupt you. You're good. Like Teddy and Joe Brady do have a history though, you know? So I think that that might help in some form or fashion. You know, it's not like completely starting over. It's not Zach Taylor to Joe Burrow. You know, they have a little bit of an overlap here with the Saints. And so hope, hopefully that does create some cohesion, but we also know that he's basically never thrown to any of the five pass catchers that he's going to have out there. So yeah. who knows? But yeah, I mean, Teddy pre-injury in Minnesota, 13 rushing yards per game, you know, Love not, him. not great, not bad in new Orleans. He had 36 rushing yards on 39 attempts. I mean, he's just, he's not the same guy. Unfortunately he can get there passing, but I think Teddy versus Gardner Minshew, I'm starting to come around a little bit more to Gardner, but yes, Good players on good teams, preferably. All right, moving on to the tight end position. This guy is seemingly a good player. He's definitely on a good team. Josh, talking about Adam Trotman. Is that how you say it? Sure. Let's roll sure. with that. Roll with I mean, that. you and I never are perfect on pronunciations. Uh, I mean, he's on the Saints. And so I think that that characterizes it. And he's probably most likely the backup to Jared Cook. You know, we've seen Josh Hill and what he is. He might have a couple of touchdowns here or there, but he's never going to be a tight end a team relies on for a season. Um, if Jared Cook goes down, Adam Troutman might be the guy who steps in. And this isn't a tight end who is uncomfortable as receiver. I mean, he had 14 touchdowns last season, 95 targets that led to 70 receptions. He saw 100 slot snaps, averaged 13 yards per catch. I mean, I can keep going, Ian. He forced 12 missed tackles, which tied for second most in last year's draft class among all tight ends. He has 10 contested catch receptions. That was fifth most in the draft class as well. I mean, he's an above average athlete. Jared Cook kind of was not a missing piece, but at times took that Saints offense over the edge a little bit. Like yeah. he, he, he was a little bolt of energy. He saw 21% of the Saints air yards last season, sixth most in the NFL at his position. So if he goes down, Adam Troutman has a path to – Top 10 tight end status each and every week. Dude earned rave reviews at the Senior Bowl. Athleticism seems to be there. It definitely seems like a situation where 2021, I mean, this guy could be that, you know, classic second year breakout tight end. I mean, I know this year's tight end class was kind of being called weak, but I mean, it wasn't that long ago, man, that we were talking each other into Kobe Fleener and not necessarily each other, but the whole community was talking themselves into Kobe freaking Fleener. So if Trotman can, I mean, just bring even a little bit of that, I mean, 14 touchdowns in one season at Dayton, a little bit of that, you know, domination you've been talking about, he can do big things as early as 2021. Who's your tight end? Because I have nothing else to say about Adam Troutman. My tight end is Mr. David Njoku. Now, here's the thing with Njoku. We've seen the trade rumors. I would love if he got traded because there, there is a chance he has a nice role this year. Kevin Stefanski last year in Minnesota fed Kyle Rudolph 48 targets. Irv Smith was right there at 47. The Browns don't have a number three wide receiver, really. I mean, no disrespect to Richard Higgins, but they haven't put enough capital at that position to make me think they're not going to be using a heavy dose of two tight end probably more likely two RB formations. 
let me see something that Joe could do. This dude is 24 years old. In 2018, he's already a top 10 tight end and catches yards and touchdowns. 6'4", 246, freaky spark score. I mean, just the classic souped-up athlete tight end you want to invest in. And okay, 13 drops in his career isn't great, but, you know, Ebron was known for dropping the ball until he didn't, and the guy had 14 touchdowns in one year. My dream scenario for Njoku is if the Texans could somehow, you know, get gifted some draft picks because they pretty much traded them all away at this point. But give me Njoku with Deshaun Watson as a QB. We're getting double-digit touchdowns. I cannot think of a tight end I am more excited about to begin their second career on a new team than David Njoku. Am I crazy, Josh? Let's bring it back to the Cleveland Browns here and really Kevin Stefanski because while the rest of the NFL is trotting out multiple wide receiver sets, Stefanski didn't do that at all in Minnesota last year. I mean, they were by far last in usage of 11 personnel, 25%, okay? The next closest team, the Arizona Cardinals, which was a little surprising in and of itself, were at 36%. I mean, a full 11% points behind the next closest team. In fact, they were in 12 personnel, two tight end sets, 34% of the time, and then 21 personnel, 21 of the time um it, that's why to me it's a little surprising and not necessarily from a contract standpoint because they gave Austin Hooper and at the time was the highest paid tight end in the league um that why David Njoku would like cause a little bit of a fit and want to ask for a trade you know because he's gonna be used in that offense now there is a, and I don't have the numbers necessarily in front of me there is a difference in 12 personnel usage where Minnesota used at 34% of the time and like Philadelphia used at 52% of the time. Right. And for Philadelphia, that allowed them to have two fantasy relevant tight ends, right? A top five in Zach Ertz. And I think like a top 12 or 13 in Dallas Goddard for Minnesota. I mean, it ended as Kyle Rudolph is like the tight end 20 and Irv Smith is like the tight end, like 31. Okay. So even if they're going to use 12 personnel like they did last year, that doesn't mean necessarily they're getting the type of volume that like the guys in Philly are getting. So it does concern me a little bit that even if he's going to trot out two tight ends, that two tight ends are going to be fancy relevant there in Cleveland. Yeah, I just think it's a situation where a lot of people are going to look back on Njoku season. Same kind of thing with Chris Herndon. Like, there wasn't a scenario last year where Njoku couldn't find his way on the field just because of his performance. And, I mean, end of the season was weird coming back from that wrist injury. I mean, it's the type of injury that makes sense where you couldn't really come back if you weren't at 100% and, you know, be as involved as a blocker. But week one last season, four catches, 37 yards, and a touchdown as an every-down tight end. I mean, this – I just think Njoku, it's probably not going to be in Cleveland. They paid Hooper far too much money for that to happen. But just let this guy be an every-down tight end, and good things are going to happen. He 1,000% is of the model of the type of tight end that succeeds on a second team or a second contract. Like, I would never spend a first-round pick on tight ends right now in the NFL and the landscape it is, and probably not even round two picks. Like, I would much rather invest – in second day late second day i should say third round and and third day picks who are athletes with upside like your george kittles for example like your johnny smiths and i can keep going down and down the list um i would just let the nfl evaluate these talents for me because we see it is the slowest developing position in the nfl and like so often even like rare prospects who are complete your tj hawkinson's your oj howards even i mean keep going further and further they have their moments, but the consistency just isn't there. And I'm not writing off TJ Hawkinson yet at all, or Noah Fant, who you and I both love, all yep. both of those guys. But um, 
it's just not a position where you're going to get a lot out of them during their rookie contract. And David Njoku is that case right now, but we've seen so many of them just blossom with their second teams. I mean, Greg Olson was traded. Delaney Walker is another example. Eric Ebron is another example. Like again, that list is quite long as well. So whatever his second stint is going to be is where I think David Njoku plays his best football. Yeah, I did a study looking at, you know, when's that leap year come by position, by the amount of experience you've had in the league and running back, you know, second, third year, as you'd expect. Wide receiver, same thing. Also still saw guys in that fifth and sixth season, you know, having just big time wide receiver one fancy seasons. Quarterback and tight end, though, the most common occurrences were all guys with 10 plus years experience. Like truly a funky position. You got to get all the snaps out there. Got to get the targets. Hasn't been there for Njoku. Hopefully it will be in the future. So those are our lists. I'm going to read them over again real quick. Josh at QB had Jameis Winston. I had Nick Mullins. RB, we had Antonio Gibson and Duke Johnson. Wide receiver, we had the Ohio State boys, Paris Campbell and Curtis Samuel. And then finally at tight end, Josh had Adam Trotman. I had David Njoku. Josh, any honorable mention, guys, you want to you know, give a quick word to? I was going to cheat and throw Dallas Goddard there at tight end. You know, I was looking over these lists, and, you know, Steven Sims might be an option in Washington as well. I'm just trying to find, like, it, it stood out to me when I was writing the Panthers preview for this year just how much Scott Turner and North Turner threw the freaking football last year, you know, like it was a neutral pace. It was obviously when they were behind and is it only going to be Terry McLaurin getting 132 targets this year? I would love that, <laughs> but there's going to be someone else that receives some, some market share of volume over there and finding out and figuring out who that is could be a real benefit if it is just one player. And, you know, Steven Sims and Antonio Gibson to me are two really solid options. A couple other guys. I had uh, Chad Swag Kelly at QB. Self-proclaimed. Stop it. Self-proclaimed. Is he even on a roster right now, Ian? Let me finish. Self-proclaimed second fastest QB in the league. Frank Wright says he's doing all the right things on the field and off the field, competing for that number three QB spot in Indy. It's a shame we don't get to see him in the preseason this year. Uh, At running back, I'm not giving up on Brian Hill yet, man. He could maybe be that number two guy in Atlanta. You know, we know how girly his knees are. There was even reports saying that Atlanta Falcons players thought Brian Hill should have gotten a legit chance to be the featured guy. Um, Also, RB slash wide receiver, my guy, Cordero Patterson. Just just give great players the ball. I'm not asking that much. Uh, Quickly, also wide receiver, Mike Williams with the Chargers, man. He's already had really good seasons. But to me, I know you love Keenan. Keenan's better than Mike. I'm not saying he's not. But, like, let Mike be the undisputed number one wide receiver on a team. I think great things would happen. And finally, from the Cincinnati Bengals, some people hate contested oh catches. Oh, my gosh. They Why did you bring guys, me in this podcast? They hate guys with a you know huge wingspan. Auden Tate, people, believe. you. I mean, I think you brought me on just for these last three minutes just to irritate me because these are names that I heard on a weekly basis sitting in the newsroom at Roto World that I was just like, Ian, it's not happening. Give it up, dude. Like, save some of this energy for year seven when you're doing this job. But you refuse. Like I keep saying, you are an extremely – loyal person and this goes to the players that you like as well i'll throw out one more just so we don't end on a low note like the names you just mentioned oh um malcolm brown malcolm brown is someone i think who's being forgotten in the rams backfield right now i mean even in week one last year he was seeing like 50 50 work almost with todd Gurley. you know it's it's cam Akers versus daryl henderson okay We've seen what Daryl Henderson is. What if Cam Akers gets hurt or doesn't come along because he's a rookie? Malcolm Brown is someone that this team paid 
they signed the restricted free agent tender that another team gave him. And so if he gets an opportunity, I think he could absolutely lead this team in carries and rushing yards this season. Season started tomorrow. I think we'd have to line up Malcolm Brown and assume he, assume he is going to be their starting running back. Good call there, man. All right. Josh Norris is on Twitter at Josh Norris, J-O-S-H-N-O-R-R-I-S. I got to spell out my last name all the time, so I thought I'd do you the favor. But Josh, man, awesome stuff. Thank you again for coming on. You got anything I wrote or wrote you guys are working on you want to plug? Just the podcast. Please check out the podcast. I would really appreciate it. We've done live drafts. Ian even had a live draft. We were inside the mind of Ian Harditz. We do our favorite players every single month. I mean, I think I've talked about every single player five times this offseason already. Uh, and I'm glad to have done it with you this time, Ian. I like the YouTube setup you guys got going with the draft. You get Roto Patch, just incredible beard hair combo he's got going on. And then you got Hayden Winks with the, you know, I don't, Gen Z lighting setup. Oh I don't know gosh. what guy. Yeah, Hayden's going to start being a Twitch streamer, it looks like. And Pat still claims he uh, is a doppelganger for Roger Federer at times. And so, actually, I don't know if you know this name, Ian. You probably don't. But uh, I was told in the comments that I am the male version of Brie Larson recently, which I would, I would only take as a compliment. Um, but it does make me question myself just a little bit because I don't see it at all. And maybe that's just what I'm producing and, and putting out for everyone else. So I, you're correct. I don't know who that is, but <laughs> I, I appreciate all you, all you folks over at Rotor World. Also check out their draft guide. Just hit magazines. You can read some stuff that I wrote for my former employer in there as well. So for Josh, I am Ian. Thank you all for listening. And until the next one, everyone take care.